Okay, if you'd open up your Bibles to Colossians 2, we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10, just in case I get through that material, which I'm, I'm not sure, I, I think I'll just finish that up, but if we do go further than that, we've got notes for uh, the rest of chapter 2 uh, on the back uh, table there, so you can grab those notes if you need to, but more than likely I'll be preaching on that uh, next Sunday. So we'll be looking at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. And uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And I I am just so grateful, Lord, that uh, there are still people, there's still a remnant in Kitsap County that love you and love your word. And they don't want to play games with your word. They proclaim your truth as written. And, uh, And so I thank you, Lord, that there are people here today who came here to hear your word proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man today, that you would cancel me, the, the fallible man. So through the power of your Holy Spirit, I would proclaim your infallible, your totally true word. I pray that you would prevent me from leading anyone astray with false teachings I pray you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth and to understand truth from your word, empower us to apply it, and give us the courage to test what we hear from this pulpit, to test what we hear throughout the week from from others, to test all things with your word. And if it contradicts your word, may we hold true to your word and reject that which contradicts. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so again, with the book of Colossians, okay, uh, you have Paul writing to the Colossian believers, and he's saying, you guys are doing good. You got faith, hope, and love. I never met you guys, but my buddy Epaphras uh, planted the church over there, and he brings back a good report. However, you have wolves in sheep's clothing in your midst. You've got guys who claim to be Christian and teach a higher secret knowledge that only the initiated could receive, and that salvation is through the secret knowledge. And they were blending Jewish beliefs with this, uh, some of the old ceremonial laws and Sabbath days and feast days and Old Testament diet and circumcision, and saying you got to do all those things to get saved. And then uh, they were also demoting Jesus. So they were saying that the fullness, the pleroma, the word in the Greek, the fullness is a whole slew of intermediaries, angelic beings, who were like steps between earth and heaven. And you had to go through all these intermediaries, and Jesus is just one of them. Okay, so they were demoting Jesus rather than acknowledging that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, become a man. They were demoting him to a lesser level, to a level with the angels. And so Paul has to respond to that. And he says, look, Jesus is the creator. He created all things, even those angels that some of the Colossians were being led astray by people who are encouraging them to worship the angels. We're going to see that later on in chapter 2. No, Jesus created the angels. Only he is deserving of worship. And, uh, and so Paul makes it real clear. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of the universe. Okay, He keeps us in existence. Uh, he is our redeemer and the only redeemer the only Savior. We don't need Jesus plus something else. But I don't think there's a bigger message for the evangelical church in America today. We claim to be Bible-believing Christians, yet we're not satisfied with Jesus. And we act like Jesus isn't enough. We need Jesus plus something else. And uh, no, we're complete in Christ. And we're going to see that uh, in, in this passage. And so 
Jesus is the creator, the redeemer, and he is the firstborn. He has the right of the firstborn to rule over all creation because he also happens to be the creator and he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. And so Jesus is the rightful ruler over the entire universe. And so now we pick it up here. I'm going to read just for context a verse that we covered last week, Colossians 2.8, and then we'll move on into 9 and 10. And Paul says this, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. When it becomes anti-Christian philosophy, it's actually a hatred of true wisdom. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, evolution itself, atheistic evolution, it tries to base everything on the basic principles of the world. Just like the ancient Greek philosophical school, the Milesian school, with Thales, Anaximenes, Anaximander, and uh, they tried to give everything a, a, a physical materialistic explanation. They were basically ancient evolutionists. A lot of people think, oh, evolution is a modern scientific view. No, it's just the, uh, the uh, reincarnation of ancient Greek pagan philosophy, about 500 B.C. And, uh, and that's what evolutionists do today. They look at the basic elements of the world and try to build everything on that. And guess what? It doesn't add, all, it doesn't add up. There are so many things that are missing when you just stay in, start with and stay in the physical realm, and eventually what you do, like Paul says in Romans 1, you end up moving into paganism and occultism and idolatry. Okay? When you reject the true God, and, uh, and so now we have evolutionists today saying, well, yeah, it's impossible for life to have evolved from non-living material without intelligent intervention on the planet Earth, Therefore, aliens did it. And you have this uh, panspermia doctrine that is being uh, upheld by some of the, some of the most brilliant uh, atheist thinkers on the planet are upholding this kind of garbage. That's why we've got to remember, if they start giving us false teachings about the space brothers created us and they're here to save us, and they demote Jesus to a space brother... We got to say, no, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the creator. He's our redeemer. And he's the God of Israel. God the Son become a man. And, uh, and so Paul warns us about the deep, deceitful philosophy of man that we should not fall prey to any anti Christian philosophy. We quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where we saw that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Okay? So we're not haters of wisdom. We're Christian philosophers. We love wisdom, but wisdom is ultimately found in Christ. Okay? So, yeah, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle... Those guys could do their thing, and because they were created in God's image, though fallen, they might accidentally stumble onto the truth. A lot of things that they said were true. Aristotle taught that if uh, something is true, then to contradict it involves falsehood. Well, that's a true statement. And he figured that out because he was created in God's image, and although fallen, he was a pretty smart guy. But that doesn't mean everything that Aristotle said was true. If we are true Christians, if we really believe the Bible is the word of God without error, we're going to test the philosophies of man with the word of God. And if it contradicts the word of God, we're going to reject it. I don't care how many people disagree with us. Okay? Many of us are going to lose our jobs by taking a stand for Jesus and refusing to compromise. Many of us are, could lose our freedoms, could be in prison. And it's really weird, too, because as crazy as that sounds, it just means that American Christianity 
we'll reach a state of normalcy. Because that's been the norm for Christians throughout the centuries is you get persecuted wherever you're at. It's just Western civilization, America and Europe, were built on the biblical worldview. But we've got to test all things um, because there's many falsehoods that do not come from God and contradict God's truth. And so Paul says, don't be led astray by false authority. Why? Verse 9, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, one translation reads, for in him dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. When you look in the face of Jesus, you're looking into the face of God. Our creator entered into his creation and became one of us without ceasing to be God. And um, so what what he's saying, look, don't be led astray. You know, you're talking to somebody about Jesus and they say, well, that's nothing. Yeah, Jesus is just one of these intermediaries. But man, we got a whole lot of extra truths that you're ignoring. And they start demoting Jesus. And they start promoting angelic beings or whatever it may be or the elementary principles of the world. Okay? Or they worship the stars or they believe the creation. They worship the creation, whatever it may be. Paul says, look, just reject any so-called wisdom, any wisdom of man that contradicts Jesus because in Jesus dwells the fullness of God in bodily form. Okay, and so we see that in Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is not half man and half God. If Jesus is half man and half God, he's not fully man, not really one of us, and he's not fully God. We shouldn't worship him. Okay, but Jesus is fully God in bodily form. He took on a human nature. Jesus is also fully man. And uh, by the way, this refutes the docetism that was so prevalent in many Gnostic secret mystery cults. The docetism that Jesus only pretended to be human because they viewed the physical realm as not only bad. See, we got, we got to understand, the physical world was created perfect, then we fell, it's a fallen creation, but it's redeemable. Jesus is going to come back and make things right on the planet Earth. To the Gnostics, the physical creation, just because it's physical, it's automatically evil. The spirit is all good, the physical realm is all evil. No, the physical realm is redeemable, God the Son took on bodily form, took on a full human nature, body and soul, to redeem us and to redeem creation. So the physical creation is redeemable. And by the way, the spiritual realm is not all good. If the spiritual realm was all good, why would the Apostle John tell us to test the spirits? Because not all spirits are from God. And how do you test them? You find out... um, What is their view of Jesus? Why? Because in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We got the world, some of the world's greatest thinkers right now, some of the most respected thinkers, acting like Jesus is just a fairy tale. And they've rejected immortality through Jesus and eternal life through Jesus and salvation through Jesus And now they're trying to bring it about through man's technology. Uh, I had one thinker uh, that you've all know, a Harari, um, recently said that, um, you know, you got so many guys, they're uh, uh, depopulation guys. They want to lower the number of human beings on the planet Earth. Some only to about half a billion. Some want to even just go lower than that. And Harari made an interesting statement, and this is is the 
you know, if God, if God is dead, if you reject God, then man is dead too. And you go to an anti-human extreme. And he's saying that with AI, artificial intelligence, with transhumanism, human uh, robot, human computer hybrids, with all these things we could bring about, we don't need humans anymore. Now, most of the depopulation experts for the past 60 years or so are afraid of having too many humans because they, they were useless eaters, they say, like the Nazis say. And um, we're useless eaters. We, uh, we're um, destroying, we're devouring the natural resources that the elitist want for themselves. Um, Harari doesn't argue that way. He says with our technology, we're not going to have to run out of food. We can create as much food as we need. So then you think, oh, good, so he doesn't want to kill us. But then he says, yeah, but there's no use. Once we produce superhumans, there's no use for these useless eaters. Why feed them? Even if we can, why feed them? And so he talks about, you know, the animal rights movement and humans are more evolved than animals. When the superhumans come on the scene, what kind of rights should we give to regular humans? That's pretty disgusting. But this is Bill Gates, uh, former President Obama, and Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum. This is their like favorite guru, their favorite thinker. And, um, and so there's people in power that have this godless agenda. And, and it's like, look, you give up on Jesus, you reject the truth, you profess to be wise, you speculate, and you become fools. Okay? So a culture has to decide, look, it's either God or it's insanity. Surf the web, turn on the television set, watch the news, and you tell me what we got. We got insanity. We kick God out of our universe. We don't even know what, what bathroom to use anymore. Okay? We're telling little kids, encouraging little kids to have life-changing surgery to identify as another gender and Things of that sort. We've got, we've got a lady now in the Supreme Court can't even answer the question, what is a woman? You're going to decide what's constitutional, but you don't even know what a woman is? But I'm telling you, if you reject God, we don't even know what humans are. And whoever... It's like the ancient Greek philosopher Thrasymachus said, if there's no such thing as right and wrong, then might is right. Whoever gains the most power is going to rule. The modern Thrasymachus was Friedrich Nietzsche, the German atheist who died in 1900. He said, once truth, if God is dead, truth is dead, meaning is dead, morality is dead, and all that's left. And this will produce the, the supermen who create their own values and their own truth and their own meaning through what? through their will to power. So if reason and truth are gone, you throw out God, reason and truth are gone, what you're left with is man's lust for power. And that's what we're seeing today. And, um, and we Christians get in the way of that agenda. Okay? And keep in mind, when you're standing up for quote-unquote our rights, our God-given rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, when you're standing up for that, and people think you're such a mean, evil person, they don't even realize you're standing up for them. Because you know God's truth, and you haven't fallen for the false, deceitful philosophy of man, you're actually fighting an agenda that will probably kill them almost as quickly as they would kill us. Somebody's got to stand up for life. Somebody's got to stand up for truth. Somebody's got to stand up for goodness. Somebody's got to stand up for beauty. And if it's not going to be the church, who's it going to be? And, uh, and so why do we reject the wisdom of man when it opposes itself to God's truth? Because in Jesus is the fullness of God. 
Jesus is fully God and fully man. The great theologians throughout church history in the 3rd and 4th and 5th century AD, they came up with a doctrine that is called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. I teach it, I teach it to ninth and 10th graders at the high school that, that I teach at. And the hypostatic union says that Jesus is one person with two distinct natures forever. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not half God and half man. He's not a hybrid. So Jesus always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity throughout all eternity. But at a point in time, he added a human nature without subtracting from his divine nature. So that now he is fully God and fully man. In Jesus' human nature, he has limitations. In his human nature, he's at the Father's right hand. He's not here. But in his divine nature, he has no limitations. He's not only at the Father's right hand, he's here right now. And so Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, become a man. That's called the incarnation. Jesus is God incarnate. God the Son became a man. Uh, he is fully God, always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity. The one true God is three distinct persons. But at a point in time, God the Son became a man. God the Father never became a man. God the Holy Spirit never became a man. But God the Son became a man and died on the cross for your sins and bodily rose from the dead to provide salvation for us. And because of that, because Jesus is fully God, Paul could call Jesus the pleroma, that Greek word again for fullness. If you're looking for what's all, what is everything that I need to be saved, to go to heaven? Let's fill up, uh, let's get a big box and fill up that box with all the things I need to get to heaven. What is that fullness? And... Uh, Paul says, no, it's Jesus. Well, Jesus plus what else? No, it's just Jesus. Amen. You start thinking, well, I've got to trust in Jesus plus something else to be saved? You're not saved. Okay? You've got to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Um, he alone is uh, of all the humans that walked planet Earth, only one of them could claim to be fully God without lying. And his name is Jesus. Why would we think we need more than that? Jesus is the pleroma, the fullness of God. The pleroma is not comprised of angels and other intermediaries between God and man. Jesus alone is the pleroma. Jesus alone is the fullness. And because of this, Paul says we're complete in Christ. Look at verse 10. And you are complete in him who is the head. We know he's the head of the church, but he's also the head of all principality and power. He's also the head of the angelic realm. So we are complete in him, complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. We're complete in Christ. We don't need more than Jesus. As Paul's been saying, he's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He paid the price for us to be set free from sin and judgment. He's our Savior. He's the Creator, the Sustainer of the universe, the Ruler of the universe, and He is the Head of the Church. And now Paul even throws in that Jesus is the Head of all principalities and power above the whole angelic realm. So we are complete in Christ. Therefore, we are to trust in Jesus alone for salvation and spiritual wisdom. You know, non-believers may stumble onto the truth. You know, you want to learn how to be a good electrician? You better study more than just the Bible. God teaches us the truths in nature about electricity, okay? So all truth is God's truth. But no truth that God teaches us 
through nature outside the Bible will contradict the truth that God teaches us in the Bible. Okay? So, you know, my dad was an electrician. Hey, that's great, you know. And he knew a lot of truths about electricity. But if he ever reached the point where he decided, wow, electricity is God. I need to worship electricity? No. And my, my dad believed the Bible was God's word. He would reject that. And say that electricity is a powerful thing that God has created, but it's not God. Okay? And, um, and so we need to trust in Jesus alone for salvation and spiritual wisdom. We don't need Jesus plus something else. We just need Jesus. You know, and uh, liberal theologians, they got tired of Jesus and they ended up denying that Jesus is God and they started adding things so they got all politically correct and they said, well, the moral teachings of the Bible are true but not the historical teachings like God the Son becoming a man and creation by God. And then the liberal Christian denominations eventually kicked out the true Jesus, okay? They thought they needed more than Jesus. Anytime you think you need more than Jesus, you automatically demoted him, okay? The cults, they're not content with the Jesus of the Bible, so they come up with their own false Jesus. To the Mormons, Jesus wasn't always God. He was once a man on a planet who progressed to godhood. He became a god, but there was innumerable gods before him that had been men on planets. Okay? And so they teach uh, that there's a plurality of gods, and Mormon males, if they get married in the temple, can become gods someday, a god of their own planet. That's false wisdom. Okay? That's false wisdom. You need to be content with Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses make Jesus a lesser God. The first thing that God created, and then Jesus created everything else, so he's a lesser God. Let me tell you, there's only one God. That God is three persons. That goes beyond our understanding, but there's only one God. And Jesus is not a lesser God. Uh, and so the Jehovah's Witnesses get it wrong. Uh, the Christian science called Unity School of Christianity... Uh, Jesus is just the man, the Christ is the God consciousness within him, and we all have that God consciousness within us. Okay? It's just Jesus exercised his God consciousness better than we do. Okay? That's false. That's false. We were created in God's image, we're fallen, we need to be redeemed. Jesus can restore the image of God in us through saving us and through glorifying us when he returns. But he's God and you're not. Remember I say, you, you will not, the beginning of, of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. Until you acknowledge there is a God and you're not him, you haven't even started to learn the eternal truths um, that we need to learn. And uh, um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, there's reasons why after I got saved within the Catholic charismatic movement, it was kind of a back-to-the-Bible movement, a little heavy on the Pentecostal side. But as I studied, uh, I, I realized they were adding things to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is, is fine. Yeah, he's, he's the Savior, died on the cross for our sins. But they would add Mary and pray into the saints and the Roman Catholic priesthood and the sacraments, Okay. The Bible says we're complete in Christ. Now, a lot of evangelicals like to slam Roman Catholics, but the fact is we evangelicals have our own fads. We'll slam the Catholics because it's like, well, you only need Jesus. You don't need St. Jude, too. You only need Jesus. Um, but we've got numerous fads where it's Jesus plus something else. And people will act like, you could, have, you could have good things, like Francis Schaeffer was a great Christian thinker. But if you act like, well, true biblical Christianity, to really be a first-class Christian, you've got to know the Bible and read Francis Schaeffer. Now, by the way, if Francis Schaeffer were alive and on earth today, he'd be appalled at that. 
because he was just trying to bring glory to Jesus. So it's not our job to add to Jesus. It's our job to point people to Jesus. And, um, but I tell you, we evangelicals can be tough on our Roman Catholic friends, but the fact of the matter is, we constantly add things to Jesus because we're not satisfied with them. And Paul says, you're complete in Christ. You don't think, need anything more than Jesus. Why do we study our Bibles? We study our Bibles because it's the, the you know, the, the theme, what's the theme of the Bible? Jesus. The Old Testament said, look, Messiah, the Savior is going to come. The Gospel said, here he is. This is what he was like. The epistles tell us, the, the letters, you know, the Acts tells us about the early church, his followers. The letters tell us how we should live once we get saved. And then the book of Revelation, this is what it's going to be like when he comes back. And then he'll reign over the earth for a thousand years and reign over the universe for all eternity. The Bible's all about Jesus. Uh, the Bible enhances our walk with Jesus. But we are complete in Christ. If you add anything to Jesus, it's not a higher level. There's so many professing Christians that act like they have a higher level of Christianity because they added things to Jesus. Okay? No. It's just Jesus. We're complete in Christ. And uh, so we don't need Jesus plus something else. We just need Jesus. If you're not satisfied with Jesus, I think you get, need to get saved. Okay? You need to trust in him alone for salvation. We don't need Jesus plus something else. We just need Jesus. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. Now, Paul points out that Jesus is the head of all principalities and power. Okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews, some people believe it's Paul. Um, I don't, the author says he never met Jesus. And, um, but in Hebrews chapter 1, the author makes the same point. You had, again, Jewish people who came to Christ and who were demoting Jesus to the level of other angels, of angels, and so in Hebrews 1, verses 5 to 13, the author says this, For to which of the angels did he ever say, did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So God didn't say that to the angels. He said that to the Lord Jesus, okay, the Son of God, uh, verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, the Lord Jesus, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus isn't one of the angels. God commands the angels to worship Jesus. Um, verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And uh, so God the Father calls God the Son God. He doesn't say that uh, of the angels. And then he says to the Son in verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Um, uh, he is the creator. Not the angels, but the Son. Um, and then in verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? The angels are not going to sit at the Father's right hand. Jesus sits there. Okay? And so uh, he's saying that Jesus is the head of all principalities and power. He's not only the head of the church. Jesus is the head over all creation, and that includes powerful angelic beings. Okay? Um, Jesus rules over the angels. He's not a local deity. 
He's not just the God of Israel. He's not just the God of planet Earth. He's not just the God of our solar system. He's the God over the entire universe. Okay? Jesus is not uh, a local deity. Look at Revelation 19. This is talking about the second coming of Christ. Revelation 19. Eleven to sixteen it says, "Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and see, he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself." He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. His robe is dipped in blood because he died on the cross for our sins. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You've got royalty among the angels. Principalities and powers. Some of the royalty are good angels who haven't fallen. Some of the angelic royalty are fallen angels that oppose God. But Jesus is not, Jesus is not just a king and a lord. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's why this whole world has gone insane. People who tell you they love you, powerful people tell you they love you, also tell you, they want to wipe out, you know, 85% of the world's population. With love like that, who needs hate? Okay? Um, Jesus is king of kings. They need to understand. You know, it's their will, their Nietzschean will to power. Their lust for power. And all of us have that, by the way. That's, that's the essence of free will. God put in our hearts a thirst for God but also a desire for human autonomy where we want to be our own gods. We want to be our own kings. And um, we've got leaders today, that will to power is what it's all about. They want power. They don't love you. This is no longer a Christian nation. Uh, Western civilization, why is Western civilization hated by so many of the world's leaders, because they hate the Christian God. And it influenced Western civilization more than any other civilization on the planet Earth. And, uh, but, you know, we need to tell these global leaders, okay? You know, hey, you could crush me. You got the money, you got the power, you could crush me, okay? can't crush my God. My God's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's way higher up on the food chain than you. You want to mess with me? You don't want to bow before him? I'm going to pray for you, but I feel sorry for you. But Jesus is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. You don't want to bow the knee before Jesus now. Fine, you'll bow later against your will when he comes back. Um, but we, got, we, we need more courage. Our, the church needs more courage, more boldness. We have to tell people, we got to tell the, the Billy Gates people of this world, look, dude, you got a lot of money, but my God's bigger than your God. Okay? My God's not some local deity. My God is not only the head of the church, 
He's the head over everything else. Even the principalities and powers. You don't want to bow before Jesus now? You're going to bow later. Because the Lord Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. My God's bigger than your God. It would be nice if we would shout that a little bit louder when we're out there. Maybe, uh, maybe some people might actually understand what we're about as Christians. We're supposed to be all about Jesus, you know? People bump into us at Fred Myers or Walmart. Um, they say, well, it's Trinity Bible Fellowship people. They, they really love fill in the blank. If it's not Jesus or the Bible, we're missing something. Oh, how those people love Jesus. We're complete in Christ, and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the head of all principalities and powers. He rules over the angels. Jesus is not a local deity. A few words in conclusion here. Paul said earlier in this passage in Colossians 2, that if you received Christ, walk in him. If you say you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, why don't you start acting that way? If you claim Jesus is your God and your Lord and your Savior, then how come Jesus isn't like at the forefront of your life? Paul could say, the, the mystery is that with Gentiles only have to convert to Judaism. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says in Galatians, I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me and through me. If you receive Christ, walk in him. And don't be deceived by anti-Christian philosophy. Do not allow the traditions of man to lead you astray from Christ. Now, I'm telling you, this world, the greatest thinkers of this world have had such a difficult time quote-unquote refuting Christianity and attacking Christianity. So what did they decide to do? They, they took over the universities, the media and the universities and the government, and they were still losing. So what did they have to start doing? Like 1963, let's take prayer to the public schools. And then little by little get the schools more and more godless. So now it's, it's, from, it's from the womb to the tomb. They want to get your little children from the time they're born and indoctrinate them. Because if they wait till they're adults and allow the kids to be grounded in the Christian worldview, they're going to be real hard to cause them to doubt Christ later on. And, uh, but don't allow the tradition of man to lead you astray from Christ. Uh, a couple passages I want to look at in closing Look at Romans 12, verse 2. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, and verse 2. Paul says this, and do not be conformed. To be conformed means to be outwardly conformed. Do not be outwardly conformed to this world, to the way the world thinks. But be transformed, that means be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that occur? That occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit. And do not be outwardly conformed to this world and the way it thinks, but be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're never going to find God's specific will for your life if you conform to the pattern of the world. You know, Jesus is not a backpack where we Christians believe, speak, and act just like everybody in the world, but we put on the Jesus backpack. Okay? Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. Jesus wants to be your life. Okay? And, um, and we cannot be conformed to the uh, false wisdom uh, of this world. And then Psalm 1.
Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man. You want to be blessed by God? Then, then read this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That's that anti-Christian philosophy. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You want to be blessed to God? Then verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The law is another word for God's word. Okay? Is your greatest joy, is your delight the word of God? Okay? You want to be blessed to God, you don't fall prey to the evil anti-Christian philosophy of the world. You don't hang out with sinners and do what they do. Okay? You don't mock God's truth. But your delight is in God's word and you meditate on God's word day and night. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. Now, the world would say, Bill Gates is a prosperous man. Phil Fernandez is not. The world would say, Bill Gates is a prosperous man. John the Baptist wasn't. Okay? Let me tell you, I'd rather have God call me prosperous than the people of this world. And choose prosperity is a living a life that is pleasing to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, um, but if you're going to be blessed to God, you cannot be deceived. You cannot allow yourself to be deceived by anti-Christian philosophy. And you might say, well, Pastor Phil, though, I'm not the smartest person on the planet. Um... I'm not that brilliant and this and that. How do I know when they're lying? How do they know when they're not? Let me tell you, in the eyes of the world, you can be not very bright, but if you're grounded in God's word, okay, then you are truly wise. How do we know not to be deceived by the wisdom of the world? We get grounded in God's truth. Okay? And, uh, and so... What Paul says, don't be deceived by anti-Christian philosophy. Don't allow the traditions of man to lead you astray from Christ. Be content, therefore be content with Christ. He's fully God. He became a man, so he's also fully one of us. He's our creator and sustainer, the ruler over the entire universe, not just the head of the church. He alone is Savior, and he alone satisfies our thirst for God. And so we'll close with John 6, verse 35, and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper. John 6, verse 35. We're complete in Christ. Be satisfied in Jesus. John 6, 35. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. See, the whole meaning of life, that's what philosophers look for. The whole meaning of life is to personally know Christ and to make him known. Okay? If you come to Jesus... If you believe in him, you'll never thirst and never hunger because he will satisfy your thirst for God. Uh, those who reject Jesus, they constantly hunger for something more and they don't like God's creation. They try to outdo God and come up with a better creation. And believe me, the better creation is going to make the, holy, the Holocaust. This world, this godless world's so-called better creation and new world... And superhumanity is going to make the Holocaust um, pale. And what's going to go on? This is going to be, there's going to be a global Holocaust because if you hate God, you hate the work of his hands, and that includes humanity. Be content with Jesus. He alone 
satisfies our thirst. So in closing, stay true to Jesus. Don't fall for the lies of the world. Don't think you need something more than Jesus to be satisfied. Stay true to Jesus. Endure in the faith. Persevere in the faith. It's going to get harder and harder and harder to endure in the faith because the fake news, the lies that are out there have, have, are not just affecting our culture, but they've crept into the church. And we've got to say that in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God incarnate, and therefore I am complete in Christ, and I am satisfied with the Lord Jesus. He is my Savior, He is my Redeemer, and He is my Sanctifier. I come to Him through faith in Him. He will cause me to grow in Christ.